Teaching is our passion. We at the Wall Street Skinny are proud to announce that we've joined the advisory board for the iConnections Funds for Teachers initiative, focused on supporting the Ron Clark Academy and its pioneering teaching methods. Through Funds for Teachers, iConnections is dedicated to empowering educators nationwide by providing access to RCA's professional development opportunities. Events are being organized in major cities throughout the year to fundraise and support this incredibly important cause. All proceeds from these events will be directly donated to the Ron Clark Academy, specifically to financially aid teachers so they can participate in RCA's groundbreaking training programs. Please click on the link in our show notes to register for an event in the city nearest you. This is The Wall Street Skinny, a podcast devoted to exploring the financial services industry and making the world of Wall Street accessible to everyone. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Wall Street Skinny. I'm Jen. I'm Kristen. And this is our long-awaited part two of our succession series, where we are explaining the finance of one of the all-time best TV shows ever, HBO's Succession. If you haven't listened to part one, we might have, I don't know when we're recording this, like TBD, but we might have decided to re-release it alongside this episode. But otherwise, if you go back through our episode list, it was lucky number 13, released on June 17th of 2023. There you go, Taylor Swift. But if you don't have that episode top of mind, you're totally fine for this one as well. We'll catch you up. And Succession is one of the all-time greatest shows. Like, it's right up there with Game of Thrones and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But so many people, ourselves included, by the way, when we were watching it the first time, we're like watching the show without understanding all of the key plot points. Because quite frankly, there's a lot of pretty complex financial concepts underpinning all of it. We are here to demystify all of these for you. Because as always, we are two lifelong friends with a combined 25 years of experience working and teaching on Wall Street, here to give you the skinny on the world's highest paying careers and answer all of the questions that you always had about finance, but were too afraid to ask. And quite honestly, if you weren't watching Succession with a phone open, Googling like hostile LBO, (laughs) the odds that you understood everything are pretty low. Well, not even just that. They like will throw out terms that are just commonplace in the banking world, right? It's like go Mm -hmm. private or whatever it is. And to me, I'm like, oh, cool. But it's almost shocking that it became the phenomenon that it did because it was so jargonized still. But most people, I think it's one of those things where it's like you watch and you're like, oh, cool. Like, there's the deal. This guy's the bad guy. We don't right. want him to win or we do want him to Sinister win. Sinister music. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you get so much more out of the show if you understand mm-hmm. what was actually happening yeah. in the business yeah. part of it. It is such a beautifully written show. There is so much about culture and wealth and just, it is chef's kiss. It is so beautiful. (laughs) So I'm so excited that we get to do this and get to rewatch because I actually enjoyed going through this. I think I said this after the first one too. I enjoyed watching it the second time so much more than the first time. 
because mm-hmm. there's all these things that you miss. And like when you go back and you go into it, you kind of know the broad strokes of the plot. So you can focus in on the details and the details are like everything. So let's recap. So for those of you who haven't listened to episode one or haven't seen the show, the show is basically the story of the Roy family who for all intents and purposes are supposed to kind of be like the Murdoch dynasty for Fox Corp. And they run a company that spans across news programming. They have theme parks. They have cruises. They have a TV network. And they are a family with four children. You've got Connor, Kendall, Roman, and Shiv. And Connor is from the Scion, Logan Roy's first marriage. The other three are from his second. The whole catalyst for the show is sparked by Logan having basically what amounts to a stroke or a heart attack in the first episode of the first season and trying to figure out who is going to succeed him at the helm of this company. And so season one goes through who was going to be the successor and then the kids are battling it out. And that's basically the catalyst for the rest of it. And where we left off in season one, which we conveniently forgot to mention at the end of our, at the end of our first episode on this was, so they're all at Shiv's wedding and there's this huge takeover backstabbing thing going on with Kendall. Kendall had basically tried to team up with his dad's arch nemesis, this guy Sandy mm-hmm. Furness, and they tried to buy Waystar in this hostile LBO. So that's, that's the season one finale. And they're all at Shiv's wedding. And basically, Kendall goes to deliver the bear hug. And so that's something we got explained in, in the first episode of the series, where it's an offer where you're offering the shareholders to buy the company and you make it so generous that the shareholders aren't likely to refuse. The CEO doesn't want to sell, but doesn't matter right. because guess what? The shareholders have control. So if over like 50% agree, then the deal can go through even though it's not wanted. Kendall delivers, it's called the bear hug letter to his dad. His dad was in the bathroom. He gets really pissed off, like throws it in the toilet. And that's where we basically find ourselves in this last episode, except for we forgot to touch on this massive plot point really at the very end. Really never got to this one little plot point, yeah. At the very end of season one, Kendall, who has this drug problem, is looking for drugs at Shiv's wedding. So he teams up with this waiter. They go to try to find drugs. And as they're driving, they crash. The car veers into a lake. The waiter drowns, right? It's it's awful. And Kendall freaks out. He covers it up. He covers it up, goes back to the wedding, tries to pretend like nothing has happened. And the next morning gets called in to meet with his dad. And his dad's like, Mm. huh, something must have happened. I wonder what happened to this waiter. Are you still going to go through with this deal? you know we can make this all go away. So mm. Logan offers effectively, without saying it, to cover this all up and make this go away for Kendall as long as he doesn't go through with his plan, which yeah. he had in his grasp. That's yeah, why he was yeah, going yeah. to get drugs. He was going to celebrate slash deal psychologically with the huge impact of the fact that he had just effectively betrayed his father and was about to win Right. He had finally vanquished his father and was really struggling with that. And now it's all taken away from him because his dad can bring him back into the fold under his thumb by saying, I'm going to make this all go away from you. Aren't you my good boy? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Kendall's sobbing and comes back to his father. And that's the whole thing. That's where it all comes down. So we forgot that key little plot point while we talked about it last time. <laughs> well, that's where we, oh, it's pound rest. Had to keep um, you guys so, wanting more. <laughs> so that's where we find ourselves now in season two. So Kendall is in a rehab facility. He's like a wounded animal, he's, right? Oh, like yeah. He's, throughout this, mm-hmm. So he's in this rehab facility. Someone who works for Logan basically shows up and is like, hey, now you're going to go on TV and talk about how you're backing out of the deal. Logan is the puppet master sending him out to do all the things that he needs to do because Logan wants to fend off this 
possible bit. When he goes on TV, he basically says, look, I saw their plan. My dad's plan was better. I made an assessment looking at the sector, the firm trajectories. I felt the shareholders were being ignored. Well, he's lying. He's just reading what they've given him to say. Shiv and Tom are talking after Kendall's appearance on TV. And they say that basically they can't just go hostile now, not without Kendall's equity. Now it's basically going to be tough to get enough ownership because Kendall had some equity ownership. So he could have helped tip it over the edge. But now they're basically going to have to go through this whole fight to try to save the company and fend off this hostile deal. So Logan sits down to the family banker. He's like, look, I what I'm in thinking is I'm going to just drag this thing out, right? I'm going to hope it dies. I'll name a successor. I don't know who, right? But what else do I have as a defense? And Jamie is like, look, in all honesty, the business, like with your fundamentals, you should sell. It's going to be a vicious fight. Perhaps you win, but then nothing gets done. Like if you're just tied up trying to fight off this thing, you know, he's like, tech is coming. Tech is here. Maybe one or two legacy media operations will make themselves big enough to survive. But the Sandy offer is big because of his ego. The wise thing to do is sell. So the banker thinks he should sell. But one of the key things in what Laird said was maybe you should make yourself big enough that somebody else yes. can't buy you. And that was one of the things that Logan had contemplated in the first season. And now that's going to be the strategy that drives him forward as his main line of defense that he's going to pursue yeah. over the course of season two. So they've set up season two to basically be the drama between fending off this hostile bid and trying to acquire another company. Yeah, And we're going to see that ultimately the company that they try to acquire is the same company that they briefly named in season one, Pierce. And what mm-hmm. Pierce represents is if Waystar Royco is Fox News, Pierce kind of represents something akin to the New York Times, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine your drunk right-wing uncle and your drunk left-wing aunt at Thanksgiving, and they're both fighting about what's on the news. This is the conversation they're having, okay? One is talking about Waystar Royco, and that's where he gets his news, and she's talking about Pierce, and that's where she gets her news, okay? That's kind of the battle that they set up for the whole season. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's start with season two, episode one. And they're actually at what they call the Summer Palace, which is their Hamptons Mm -hmm. house, which has apparently recently undergone a renovation. And by the way, this is a spectacular home. I don't know whose property this was that they sourced. Well, later they say it's, I think, worth like $150 million or something. Right, which is like a casual drop in the bucket of their actual net worth. But apparently it had recently undergone a renovation. And for those of you who don't get the reference with the Summer Palace, if you know anything about the history of the Russian monarchs, they had the Summer Palace and the Winter Palace. And this is going to be a theme this season, too, where they really work to establish Logan as this dictator and tyrant in a way that they didn't so much in the first season. In the first season, he's much more complex and seems more vulnerable. And that's actually one of the reasons I didn't like this season as much. I felt like they were very heavy-handed with depicting Logan as this almost like quasi-violent tyrant yeah. and dictator. Well, he slaps, he we'll, slaps we'll get to Roman all in the this. face. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll get to all this as we unpack it a little bit more. But anyways, so they're hanging out at the Summer Palace. The family has all gone there as kind of a retreat after the events of, of the last season. And there's a bad smell. And obviously anyone who's, you know, ever read a book before is like, oh, something's rotten in this family, right? Like this is obviously metaphorical, but there's actually a literal bad smell that no one can figure out where it's coming from. And they finally uncover a bag of dead raccoons that have been stuffed up the chimney. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this the first time, be like, what the hell's going on? No, no, same. I actually had, and, and it was funny, the only reason that watching the second time it made more sense is one of our good friends, this guy, Will Smith, who, that is his name, and if that wasn't enough, he actually, we have to bring him on. He's, he's an architect in New York City. He went viral in like 2014 because he was sitting front row at a Yankees game, and he missed three foul balls, like three in a row. 
So anyway, that's neither here nor there, has nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. But the point is that he's this architect in New York City and he knows everything about the ins and outs. And he was telling me how sometimes what contractors would do in the city is if someone hired someone to do a renovation or as a way to try to make sure that they got paid, the contractors would basically get like a dead fish and they would hide it where nobody could find it. And it would serve as a way to fuck over people if they didn't pay the bills. But if they paid, then, you know, they'd come back and they'd get it before it started to rot, like no harm, no foul. Problem is, Logan is not something you want to mess with. And he figured out what happened. What Logan basically says to him is like, I'll pay you $100,000. The contractor was $300,000 out of pocket. He had billions of dollars. And he's basically stiffing the contractor and paying him less than what he actually paid out of pocket. And then there was this subsequent scene where after, because everything smelled, they had like got this massive feast of like shrimp and all this food, like really expensive. Oh yeah. He says, I don't want this. I want pizza. And they take all the food and they throw all of it. And you just see Ugh. these like cater waiters just dumping yeah, the like waste. lobster and like the waste. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I had not known that this was like common practice. I have never heard of anyone doing this before. It sounds to me like one of those like old-timey mafioso things because fun fact, there's actually laws in place in most states, certainly in the last like 50 years or so, to prevent this kind of thing where like someone does work on your house and you don't pay them. Oh, they left you a dead fish or whatever. Like, no. Now there's something called the Uniform Commercial Code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can file something. If you're a GC who's working on someone's home, a lot of them will tend to do something called filing a UCC lien, which basically says, if you don't pay me for the work that I did here, I actually have a claim to your property as collateral for that unpaid debt. And so when you're a real estate agent and you're meeting with someone to list their home, if you guys have ever sold a home before, one of the first questions that a real estate agent should ask you is, did you have any work done on your property in the last <laughs> year or so? Because guess what? If you try to go sell it and you have one of these UCC liens on your property, you may not be able to sell it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, look at some of the people that were in the New York City real estate market. I mean, not to get political, but someone who has a freaking habit of not paying their bills. So just saying, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yep, but yeah. So. Basically, the reason they've all gathered together is Logan wants to sit down with the family and he asks the kids, like, look, we need to discuss this bear hook. Do we actually sell or do we try to stick it out and fight? Well, no, no, no. Hang on. Basically, what's happening is Logan is sitting down with all the kids trying to suss out who's on his side and who's in, like, where does everyone stand and where are their allegiances? Oh, but I thought now that he has. Mm, so I thought that he was actually trying to get their view because he had asked the banker and the banker was like, I think you should sell. I think he was still at this point, like trying to figure out like, I think I Logan doesn't give a shit what anyone else thinks. And I think he's oh, trying he to figure out what everyone's it. position is mm. so that he knows who he knows how to manipulate each person into getting exactly what he wants. I thought though, he was still trying to figure out what he wanted to do. Like if he wanted to potentially go, which would make no sense. You're right. Because it was like, it, it's his arch nemesis. He's really going to sell to him. But it was the fact that Laird was like, he has a big you go, you know, you well, can sell. he might if it's if it ultimately served Logan's purposes, but he's not going to do it because Roman gives him that advice or Shiv oh, gets him that not. advice. He's sitting down with all these people being like, what do you think? And then figuring yeah. out how he can play each of them off each other. And that's why we'll get to yeah. it here in a sec. But that's why he ultimately makes the decision he does. Well, so Shiv, yeah. So anyway, Shiv ends up getting called into a meeting with her dad and he basically says to her, you're smart. I think you should take over. And she doesn't even know how to take this at first. Like, she thinks this is a joke. And she's super uncomfortable. Well, so here's the thing, right? Remember, he tried mm, to ruin her wedding. He threatened yeah. not to come to her wedding, yeah. right? Yeah. So Kendall has tried to stab him in the back. Yeah. Roman has been kind of this hilarious, but like, lapdog who is never going <laughs> to go against his dad. 
But Shiv has legitimate grievances against her father at this point. He threatened not to come to her wedding. They have political differences too. Political differences, 100%. She's working as almost the chief of staff as a Democratic candidate she's a political for consultant. president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a political consultant. He doesn't have her under his thumb. And he needs to figure out where her loyalty lies. And so in order to get her in line, what he does yeah. is he now tells her that she's going to be named as his successor. But don't tell anyone, right? Mm-hmm. I'll make the announcement when the time is right. But he plants, it's like inception. He plants this seed yeah. in her mind that she yeah. could be the one. Yeah. And so now everything she's doing is actually going to line up with Logan's goals because she wants to take over control. She doesn't want this company to be sold because she can't take over control. Now that he's planted this seed, she's going to become his operative. So that's how he gets her under his thumb. Yeah. And she's not really sure at first what to make of it. She doesn't trust it. But then as time, she starts to believe it. Her husband, by the way, initially when they got married, she was trying to position him for Tom for being more senior and more senior in the organization. Tom ends up taking over ATN, which is this like Fox News type, which we're going to get to in a minute. But he initially is very hurt. He's like, I thought I was the one who was supposed to be put up and now it's you. And so there's some like kind of crazy dynamic going on there. But anyway, so Logan has planted the seed. He's now getting Shiv to be on his side. And he now has put Kendall and Roman in as co-chief operating officers for the business. (laughs) And so that's where we now find ourselves. Cocos. Yeah, yeah, Cocos. <laughs> so at this point, Kendall basically goes to see Stewie, who was his like little best friend, who was working with Maysbury and and um but the guy who's his Sandy Furness. Sandy Furness. And Stewie wants to understand, like, what the what the heck just happened? Everything was all set. It was within grasp, except for obviously that's this huge thing happens. And except Kendall, for then murdering someone. <laughs> except for then murdering someone. And Kendall just keeps saying, like, I saw your plan and my dad's plan was better. He's and like a dead-eyed robot and he just yeah. And and Stewie's like 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 what just happened Mm -hmm. yeah he has no idea because no one knows that kendall murdered this guy and it doesn't come out actually i don't think it's actually revealed to the rest of the family until the last season right season three i think it was in season it was was at one of the wedding i think it was season three but i could be wrong i I thought it was season season four four at the mom's new wedding yes that dude you're right yeah 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 yeah. anyway sorry we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah but so anyway so stewie and sandy are both there and kendall's now basically like what could we work out nasa swap or something basically trying to get them just to back off it's easier than having to go through this whole fight kendall says look public line is that we're considering it we'll never recommend it to the board we'll fight you'll bleed cash we'll bleed cash He'll send in men to kill your pets and fuck your wives. Sandy just goes, we'll start that process now, shall we? So that's where we end up leaving. (laughs) Yeah. So so, as you can see, again, just to recap, what they've effectively set up is now this cage match between Mm -hmm. Sandy Furness and his allies, which are Stewie and members of the board who want the company to be sold. Right. Because they saw the terms of that offer. Right. And they're great. (laughs) Exactly. And then Logan and everyone he has in his camp. So that's the critical battle, right? Yeah. We start now with episode two, where Stewie is going on this negative press tour to try and persuade shareholders that Logan is terrible and that basically they need a new management team. So he says, look, they paid way too much for Volter. The revenue projections are down. Like everything is down. And Volter, which you'll recall from season one, episode one, was the BuzzFeed equivalent yeah. company mm-hmm. that... Kendall thought was going to be the feather in his cap negotiating the purchase of when he thought he was in the running to become Logan's successor. Exactly. So basically, Logan is like, we need to fix Volter so I can now go talk about it in investor meetings. So he sends Kendall and Roman 
the Boulder headquarters. And as Jen said, it's like portrayed as very progressive, right? You have people who are wearing beanies and like it's whatever, drinking kombucha. Teeny weeny beanie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, so portrayed very progressive. Lawrence, who was the owner of Volter that we saw in season one, be like a total dick to Kendall. They go into this meeting together and Kendall views this as like his baby, like the the acquisition of Volter. That was his idea. And they go into this room with Lawrence and Roman and Kendall think like Volter's been making up numbers. They think that- Which they have been. Which they have been. And, And that comes out. And so Kendall asks for the info. He says like KPIs, which if you've never heard of before, that stands for Key Performance Indicators. You know, they want the term I didn't know. <laughs> exactly. There you go. And Lauren sends basically he's like, I'm gonna bury them in paper. So Kendall's sitting there in the in the room, like studiously like reading through everything and all that stuff. Roman, and this kind of just speaks to their personalities. Yeah. Roman's like, fuck this. Like, what the hell is he doing? And they're reading. And he's like, goes, he takes people out for drinks and he gets the inside scoop. Yeah, well, it actually was a really beautiful point counterpoint to we, I don't know if you guys have listened to this episode yet, but we did a review of We Crashed, which was the Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway depiction of the WeWork story. This is. And there's a very, very similar scene in We Crashed where Adam Newman is trying to thwart the private equity firms that are finally doing some due diligence on this company. Yeah. And he tries to outsmart them by burying them in paper. And instead, they've got a bunch of these, you know, Excel ninjas and associates who have all been trained to do this in their sleep and they do a great montage and I love a montage with music. (laughs) They absolutely tear through this stack of documents like it's nothing. So they just show like boxes of paper being like done, done, done. And so basically (laughs) the lesson with all these things is like you're never going to bury anyone in paperwork. Like don't try, okay? Like (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So Roman has got the inside scoop. He knows what's going on. They sit down now in this meeting with their dad Kendall, basically, again, it's his baby. And so he wants to throw money at the problem. It's his crown jewel. Roman basically says, hey, I took out the people for drinks. They're talking about unionizing. We should shutter the place. And Logan agrees with Roman. And so Logan decides to put Roman on the proxy battle. And he tells Kendall to go deal with Volter. And honestly, it's one of these awful scenes, too, because like you said, Kristen, this was his baby. It's like in Game of Thrones when they were talking about forging the unsullied soldiers. What they would do is like as their final test, they gave them a puppy and made them raise that puppy for a year and nurture it and love it or whatever. And as their final test to join this army, they then have to kill the puppy, right? That's exactly what Logan is doing constantly, psychologically to Kendall. He builds him up, builds him up, builds him up, and then destroys it. Exactly. And so Kendall's the one who has to go in and be like, you know, he shows up and no one takes him seriously and everyone's cruel to him anyways. And then he shows up and says, well, basically, fuck you. I'm shutting this place down. You have all been fired. Yep. Somebody actually goes up to him and spits in his face, right? And he just I takes mean, it. Yeah. it. It's just brutal. And he has to just take it because he's just this puppet of his dad's. And that's all it is. Lawrence asks him, he literally says, why did you do this? Right. And Kendall just says, because my dad told me to. And Lawrence mm-hmm. is like screaming, because your dad told you to? And that's yeah. how, again, it's like Kendall the wounded puppy. Like he just, it just, mm-hmm. it's, oh God. So anyway, the, the, the episode ends with basically Kendall getting really drunk, doing drugs, right? Because he just had been humiliated, just got like spit in his face. I think this is where he randomly steals a pack of batteries because he's just like, 
He just is feels he's so, so dead awful inside. about everything. He's right. so dead. He's so dead inside. He's been so pummeled, right? And yeah. it's, it's getting worse. It gets worse it gets and worse, worse and worse over worse. the course of this yeah. season. He ends up throwing this rager at this apartment that he had given to cousin Greg, who at, at the beginning of the episode had like talked about how having to move to Staten Island because he needed to get an apartment. So he's like, here, you can have this one. But then he ends up using it as his party pad. And I think Greg Again, said, continuing like, that theme of you can have this thing, but it's really mine. Right. Yeah. Which is always yeah. how this family, tra- that's the currency that they trade in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, oh, I'm giving you this apartment. Why? Because you're my cousin and you love me? No, because I can, because I didn't want it anyways. And by the way, I'm going to hold it over your head. So if I want to have and a razor here. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And he says that. And he you want to go to says, bed. Greg's yeah. like, I'm super tired. And by the way, there's some people like having sex in my bed. And he's just like, not my problem. So now that brings us to the next episode where so they basically start in a board meeting. And so just as like a recap, in companies, you have a board of like 12 people. I think it's usually 12. Is it always 12? I don't know, Kristen. And this is something I actually wonder about. At what stage do companies have to have boards? Because I know that nonprofits have to have boards and hmm. publicly traded companies have to have boards. But why do private companies have to have boards? Like, what's the threshold? Are we supposed to have a board? We don't have a board, guys. I don't know. Now I'm nervous. I have a feeling when you get investors. So for example, like a lot of like private equity firms, when they invest, mm. I think that's where they start to have a board. So I, I and it has wrong, to be like independent it's... oversight, right? Yeah. By people who mm-hmm. theoretically have no incentives aligned with yours. But that always sounds like such garbage because like- It is garbage. It yeah. is garbage. I mean, look, this is, this is something that I've heard Scott Galloway talk about a lot with regards to like Elon Musk and Tesla. You have these, they're supposed to be independent. But when a significant amount of net, their net worth is tied up in the stock and what he has done, how is it? How can you make independent advisory decisions? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you yeah, want yeah, your yeah. incentives to be aligned so that the, if the company does well, you do well. Great. But you also want yeah. the company to not do well by doing bad things. Yeah. So, well, a lot I, of times major investors can get board seats. And mm-hmm. obviously, like those are, we'll, we'll see it later, used as ways to try to fend off, in this case, like Stewie and, and Sandy. Ultimately, here, we'll give you some board seats. Like they talk about that at the end. But again, the board votes on major decisions and Mm -hmm. they ultimately, in this case, like they're all sitting down, they have this board meeting. And again, we'll find out. I feel like this is where the corporate governance, we need, we need to have a whole episode on that where we bring in someone who is. We'll do an episode on boards. If you guys know anyone who's, who's, (laughs) and corporate governance, who's got great insight on boards, please shout out to us and, uh, and we'll talk to you. Yeah. So they get into this board meeting where Logan again is saying, so he, he, okay. So his, his whole plan is he wants to lever himself up. And by Pierce. Now, this, by the way, like in the old heyday, and actually I'm going to go back to just talk about some things you used to hear about in the olden days, like these corporate raiders where you would have- What's the olden days? The 90s? (laughs) Yes. Actually, yeah. Where you would have these private equity firms would try to buy companies, lever them up a lot and buy the firm. Like we've used the analogy of buying a house. The thing is, is that one of the things you could do is make yourself look very unattractive to a potential buyer who wants to lever you up by just levering yourself up already. So uh-huh. he's like, I want to lever myself up to make, take out a ton of debt by Pierce. And so then, by the way, this whole hostile LBO thing that they want to do, first of all, like they can't buy us because we're too big, but also we're already levered up. So, I mean, it's like it cutting off your like nose to spite your face, right? He's yeah. not tanking the company, but he's making the company look so terrible. That yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that who the but, hell would yeah. buy them? Right. Yeah. So they, and they want to also just be too big because when they're too big, you you can't do a deal. Like there is a limit to how much money Sandy and Stewie can actually throw at buying this company. Nobody seems happy about this idea. Someone says, last time we tried to buy it, their surrogates called us cultural vandals and poison in the well of the public discourse. 
But like everyone is saying they think that this is a great idea to Logan's face. Meanwhile, behind they're just like, this is freaking terrible. I think this is the mm-hmm. stupidest idea. Kendall literally says, he's like, let's air out any, you know, hesitation. Because look, if the debt from this acquisition were to become untenable, we'd death spiral and we'd go down with the ship, right? Because when you have a lot of debt, and we're seeing this with the, in the private equity space now, when you have a lot of debt and there's high amounts of interest, all of the earnings that you're earning just goes to be paid down interest. And if interest rates go up or if the company's performance goes down, right. now all of a sudden you're potentially going to go bankrupt. That's what he's saying. Like we could death spiral and go down with the ship. Everyone is like, this is a terrible idea, but everyone is too scared to say that it's a terrible idea. The hard part is they have to find a way to communicate with the company to actually talk about negotiating. Especially a company that is so diametrically opposed to them on philosophical grounds. Exactly. Ultimately, they realize there's this one person that Pierce likes, this guy named Frank, who they fired in season one, but they're going to bring him back. Well, because Frank was aligned with Kendall, remember? So now... Frank oh, was, was part he? of, yeah, so Frank part. aligned himself with Kendall because he'd gotten passed over so many times by Logan and Logan had treated him like shit for decades. So he jumped ship, went with Kendall and Stewie. Now Logan has to bring Frank back into the fold as his path to Pierce. And yeah. this is this is the pattern of behavior, right? These relationships, yeah. the only currency is what can I do for myself? Yeah. So every time someone is brought into the fold with Logan, it's because it serves his interest. He yeah, has yeah, yeah, yeah. no boundaries and there's no line that he'll draw. Okay. So Roman's girlfriend, this woman who actually was in, I don't know if you ever saw like Masters of Sex or Sweet Better. Um, this woman, no. Caitlin Fitzgerald. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But so she is friends with Naomi Pierce, right? Pierce. Naomi Pierce is, is one of the daughters. And so Roman wants to impress his dad by like trying to get an in outside of Frank. And now we get to this episode, which I was like semi-traumatized by when I first saw it, this Bora on the Floor episode. This like, was my least favorite I not, episode. It was, yeah, it was very uncomfortable. It's hard to watch. To watch. It, I was actually really surprised. I think this is the episode that they won an Emmy for that year. Really? I think Succession is at its best when all of the cruelty happens in a subtle way and the toxicity yeah. is revealed kind of secondhand. Yeah. This episode and a lot of this season, again, it really hits you over the head on multiple fronts, yeah. right? It actually felt like things were about to turn very physically violent. I was like, is someone going to die in this episode? Like, yeah. it, it, very yeah. on ominous. I think they do a lot of work this season conjuring up this image of Logan as this evil, monstrous dictator. And actually read, by the way, over the weekend, I read an article that Sarah Snook, who played Shiv, said that Brian Cox would actually occasionally have these explosive outbursts as though he were in character because he's diabetic and would get hangry, which I can totally relate to, by the way. (sighs) But he would start like roaring at everybody, even when they weren't filming. And listen, I know the actors are all great friends and everything like that. And it sounds like it was a great production team and like great set to work on. But occasionally you do get like the life imitates art, imitates life thing, right? But yeah, so Boar on the Floor, definitely not my favorite episode. And what it really is, is it becomes a witch hunt. They have the episode start with a reporter trying to get people in the family to give her color for a biography that she's going to write on Logan Roy. I love that, by the way, they first start with with Greg. Greg oh, is the Greg, comedic relief yeah. through this whole thing. So basically what ends up happening in this episode is that there is a regularly planned corporate retreat that takes place in, I believe it's Hungary, but I actually yeah. didn't double check that before this episode. It is so, Hungary. But before they head off for this, we've got all the machinations of trying to buy Pierce. And we also simultaneously have a biographer 
who has taken it upon herself to write a bio of Logan Roy. And listen, if you are in an elite family or at the helm of an elite corporation, or basically if you have half a brain, if somebody from the press contacts you, the answer is no comment, right? Mm -hmm. Any PR person will tell you that that is like the number one rule of dealing with the press. And so the episode actually starts off with Greg, of all people, our comedic relief for this show, taking a meeting with the biographer because he's afraid to say no. He's such a people pleaser, right? He wants everyone to like him, but he's also utterly terrified of Logan Roy and everyone else in the family. Mm -hmm. He likes being big time enough that someone from the press has contacted him. Like, he must really matter. But he's like, oh, none of this is on the record, right? Nothing I say. This is just a pre-meeting, right? And she's like, Mm -hmm. no, like everything's definitely (laughs) whatever you say (laughs) is 100% going in this pile. I'm going to take whatever I can get. So what ends up happening is everyone from the family goes on the private jet to Hungary. And while they're on the jet, tied up in this tiny confined space that no one can escape from, which is kind of the theme of this confined, they're all in a closed loop system that nobody can escape from because they all are so deeply entangled with their hideous workings. It comes out that someone has leaked that Logan is trying to buy Pierce. So who oh, the no, hell no, would have leaked No, 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 let me oh. back up. Let me back up. No, no, no. Okay. Oh. So no, what happens when they're on the plane is that they get wind that someone has talked to the biographer. And so they I are- I thought it was- Wait, I thought it was that someone had leaked yet. about Pierce. That's they no? went. No, no. So on the plane, oh, they find out that okay. someone has talked to the biographer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So on the plane, they find out someone has talked to the biographer. And this is like the, the hilarious part. Like, is uh, Greg sitting there thinking it's him? Like, meanwhile, no, like everyone was contacted. Everyone had like, right. you know, probably like a conversation like he did. But Greg is sitting there like, oh, my God, what did I do? Like thinking like it's him and he's going to get outed. Logan feels betrayed because of this whole biographer mess. But then when they land, it comes out that somehow Pierce has gotten wind that they're trying to do this deal. And so. Oh, so, Laird, the, so you've got the twofold leaks happening in that succession. OK, got exactly. it. Exactly. So there's the scene where Laird is walking with Logan and. He says, look, the Pierce family banker called and says they know that they're maneuvering to buy Pierce. Mm -hmm. And Logan was like, this was supposed to be carefully choreographed. Is there a leak? And the banker says he doesn't know. He doesn't know if there's a leak. But Logan is like, someone here is trying to fuck me. There's a snake. Now, really what happened is that Roman was trying to impress his dad. So that's how this whole thing got tipped off. But meanwhile, so here you have Logan, who now feels like he's been doubly betrayed. Right. And is basically going to go after people to make sure they know who's in charge. Right. So they have this witch hunt effectively to try to figure it out. And I don't even want to get into it. They make them like crawl around on the floor. Like, it's, yeah. Well, no, it's, I, I, I mean, it's, we won't get into all the details, but he literally like asks people a question. They all have this like incredibly expensive, fancy catered dinner. And he has people stand up and he asks them a question. And he basically is like, you're lying. Go stand over there. Then Jerry, who's the chief counsel, he has her stand up and she basically, he's like, do you think this is a good deal? And she's like, no, I don't. And he's like, okay, you're safe because you you said this correctly. Then Greg stands up and he asks Greg a question. And Greg, he's like, what do you think? And Greg's like, yeah, I don't think it's great. He's like, good, go stand over there. And he's like, but I told the truth. The rule is that if you tell the truth, you don't have to do that. He's like, there are no rules. And so then anyway, <laughs> yeah. he humiliates like a group of them. It's really awkward and just uh, upsetting to watch. So if you want to skip this episode, if you're rewatching, feel free. That's the premise of what happens here. And yeah, so ultimately it does come out that Roman had contacted Pierce yeah. through these back channels in the hopes, like you said, of trying to impress his dad and get the deal done and be like, look, daddy, I did it. I brought you this company that you wanted. And then the biographer. Yeah, I was going to say, but that's the two things. Like nobody had betrayed him. Mo had, but he wasn't there. Mo was like on Mo's his Mo's dead. Mo's <laughs> dead. 
So like, yeah, in the, but in the beginning of the episode, actually, they kept saying, hey, this guy, Mo, is dying. He'd love to see you. And he's like, nah, nah. And so it's almost like Logan's fault because he's ignoring his friend. So the friend's like, sure, I'll talk to the biographer. So this guy, Mo. On his deathbed. On his deathbed. So none of the family, not, no one who was there, no one who was in the inside circle had betrayed him. But he thought that two people had, so it just, again, humiliated them. But it turns out it was not. Long story short, on the flight back, Frank says, hey, I've got an in with the CEO at Pierce, this woman, Rhea. And so that's where we now get into the next episode. So in episode four, the backstory here is Tom has basically taken over ATN. So ATN is basically the equivalent of Fox News. Mm -hmm. And Greg is basically like Tom's executive assistant, I guess, but they have this underling. really, his like underling. They have this like really cute little relationship. It's it's mildly abusive. Actually, it is abusive. Incredibly abusive abusive. and toxic. (laughs) It's incredibly abusive and toxic. And at this point, Shiv is now coming into the office for the first time. She had previously been this political strategist and ultimately half quit, half got fired. And Tom is excited. No, what happened is that once she found out that she was going to be named a successor, her boss, who was that the basically uh, Bernie Sanders equivalent, right? Basically, she was a consultant for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. She's basically out as a political consultant. And now she's back in the fold with her dad because he's promised her as a successor. So she's she's giving up on this political thing in short order. Yeah. So she's coming into the office. Tom's obviously going in because that's where he works too. It comes out, I guess, amid the backdrop of everything going on here. They they probably have a fascist in their midst as like a key news anchor. They have um, multiple people who are there to protest. Some are for the fascist news anchors and some are against. And I mean, there's like just terrible details that come out about this guy. They find out that he like got married at Hitler's birthplace. And they're like, well, that could have been a mistake. And then his dog was named after Hitler's dog. And they're like, but maybe he didn't know that. Tom actually ends up sitting down and having a meeting with this guy and is like, have you read Mein Kampf? And he's like, yeah, I've only read it a few times or something. He's like, why a few? And the guy's like, oh, I'm really into European history. And Tom's like, why? And he's like, you know, all the all the suffering, you know, the like, it's terrible what happened to the Germans and the Poles, like millions of people. And Tom's like, you're missing a few few million there. But anyway, so that's what's going on. I mean, and it, it, it continues to color the character of this news network that he is working for. Rhea does come in and simultaneously while Tom is having this. Rhea is having lunch with Logan. It's a secret meeting. She hasn't told Pierce about it and basically says, fuck off. They don't want to sell. That's not going to happen. But while all this is going on, there's gunshots. And so they think that they're under attack. There's this protest outside. They think that it's turned violent. They think someone's gotten in and they all have to go into these safe rooms. And there's this actually like really funny live. Like Tom goes into like a fake safe room. It's basically just like an Tom office. Tom and Greg find themselves in a random office that Tom becomes convinced is like the yeah. safe room for him. Yeah. Meanwhile, Logan's in some like underground chamber that they would like hide yeah. the president in behind three inch thick steel doors. That's like bomb. Well, and the funny thing is Tom is worried that he's the target because he runs ATN and like because he's a like, narcissist. Exactly. Oh, yes, exactly. That too. But <laughs> Greg goes. Well, if if you're the target, should you maybe get your own safe room, like away from me? <laughs> the so, door has uh, a glass window on it, like as yeah. far as like it has, it has like a crawl space, like you can literally come in. The There's like, a whole opening. Yeah. yeah. So the, it's it's the the, the comedy in the show was amazing, and this is also another piece that was comical. Where so now you have Connor who wants to basically launch this bid to become president of the United States. He's basically said he's like, doesn't want to pay taxes. He wants like a flat tax because it's like, you are a billionaire. Of course you want a flat tax. Like 
duh. But anyway, so he wants to launch this bid. He has to go to Mo's funeral. The, the family basically are stuck because of this gunshot. So Connor shows up and Willa, his girlfriend, goes to basically shake hands with the widow. And it's like, you know, I heard Mo was a great person. And Maria's like, who's Mo? Connor goes, no, his name's actually Lester. So they called him Mo. And so if you put that together, Mo Lester, like that just gives you an idea of who this guy was, that the family was back. That this is like a family joke. Like, it's a family ha, joke. Ha, and he's like, yeah, Mo my Lester. dad wouldn't let me get, yeah, my dad wouldn't let me go in the, in the pool with him. But you know, it was, it was. So Connor is another element of comic relief in this show. While in no, the safe room. Yeah. So Logan tries to negotiate with Raya to buy Pierce. Yeah. While they're trapped in this thing, he's just negotiating against himself at that point. But the point of it is that everyone has a price. She's mm-hmm. not willing to negotiate whatsoever. No way in hell. Yep. Well, what about this number? No, yep. absolutely not. I never would on principle. Well, how about I add another five. 500 million to it? Exactly. Four million. Right? The number mm-hmm. billion. Yeah. The number keeps going up billion. and up yeah. and up. And finally, it gets to the point where his number gets high enough that mm-hmm. it's actually meaningful to her. And yeah. so she agrees yeah. to broker a conversation with Pierce at a conference that they'll both be at in short order. Yeah. So it just goes to show that Logan is this master negotiator because he understands human nature and he understands all the worst parts of human nature. Yeah. Because this is allegedly the spokesperson and the mouthpiece for this organization that's morally unimpeachable compared to the Roy family, which is so morally bankrupt. Yeah. But at the end of the day, everybody has a price and he knows that. One of the other things that I thought was interesting is you find out that the gunshots was actually a suicide. They were, I think, a um, ATN producer. And you also see when everything's going down, you see Kendall up on the roof, almost looking like he is about to jump. And Logan actually keeps saying, where is, where is Kendall? Where is Kendall? He like, doesn't want anything to happen to Kendall. I initially was very confused why he was so focused on Kendall and wanting to protect Kendall, given how terrible he's been. And they talk about it later. I think Naomi says, your father only likes you when you're a, basically a wounded puppy. But right. The episode ends where Kendall goes back up to the roof and they put the glass walls preventing anyone from jumping. But if there was the added theme of the suicide aspect and like Kendall toying with that. Um, right. Which, because again, Logan knows dark, that but... Kendall's only good to him alive, which is crazy, right? True. He wants That's to true. push him to the absolute furthest point he can before... He'll literally take his own life yeah. because yeah. that's what Logan requires for obedience, yeah. for control, and to maintain that power over this person. But he doesn't yeah. actually want him to die because then he'd be no good to him. What good is he to him if he's dead? It's terrible. So true. Logan yeah. doesn't give a shit about Kendall's actual safety or mental well-being or health or anything like that. No. He's only his pawn if he's alive, but he has to stay broken. He needs him to stay broke. And we're going to get to the thing that he did that was just pushing it to the end. But all right. So now we're into uh, episode five and Pierce's are on board to meet. They all go to their family estate. The main matriarch, Nan, is the one who obviously is... Nan. Um, Nan. <laughs> Nan. Oh. <laughs> the, 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 main, the main person who is the decision maker is Nan. <laughs> Nan. <laughs> so they go to this estate and you can just see the like fast difference between right. the characters of these people as they are talking to each other. 
They um, have them physically placed on opposite sides of the table to show yeah. the diametrical yeah. opposition of how these people are built, right? This and is this a family is, that actually mm-hmm. loves each other, is affectionate with each other, right? They like, yeah. they care yeah. about each other. They, they want to talk other. about other things. And the Roys look like aliens who have just landed on planet Earth and are like, how do we act? Yep. You know? Yep, like, yep, yep, yep. So while they're at this dinner, they're going around the room and Nan says, well, who's going to be your next CEO? And Logan won't say anything. Again, he's like stringing her along. And Shiv finally just says, just say it. Just say it's going to be me. And then everything goes massively downhill. Shiv kind of realized she's fucked up. Like she's, yeah, she's no longer CEO. She's not going to get that title anymore because she's totally The second she says it, it's gone from her grasp. And that's because Logan was only using that promise to keep her under his thumb. Yeah. He doesn't want to make good on it. And now it's going to complicate things. So he has to figure out how he can use her again. And he uses her political leanings and the fact that she's a woman to entice Nan, who is more progressive leaning and has all these values. Well, the thing is, they didn't think that they would have enough of the Pierce family to vote yes. Especially the holdout was this one woman, Naomi, who is a drug addict as well. And so Kendall actually ends up starting a relationship, which continues through the remainder of the season. But he is able to end up convincing her to vote yes. So the next morning, Nan calls everyone in. Naomi says that they think she, they should sell. Rhea actually gets the price up even more to $25 billion. They say they want to retain some board seats. They want some ironclad protections in place. But they also want to have a conversation about who would be on management. And they basically really like the idea of Shiv. So they said, as part of this deal, you need to name Shiv as your successor. Logan wants this so bad, he's not willing to say yes. And so he mm-hmm. literally walks away. And like in the most giant fuck you of all to Shiv, who's like, you literally could have this on a silver platter. Just name me as CEO because they wanted to announce it to the public and he won't do it. So he gets up and, and and walks away. And one of the things that I did think was an important point to make here is that, and Jen, you talked about this in another episode, money isn't the only thing with an offer, right? There are yep. other things that are important. And so to Nan, Shiv being named as a successor was a key factor. Now, ultimately, because he walked away and then they thought they were to lose $25 billion, Logan gets a call saying that they've accepted the offer, but there was a little bit of like, you know, they thought he was just playing hardball. Yeah. He was really willing to walk away. He was really willing to walk away because he didn't want to name ship, which again is just Mm -hmm. like I said, giant fuck you. So (laughs) now we get to uh, episode six, which is there's this one thing that happened in season one, which becomes a major point in the remainder of the drama that unfolds, which is there was some bad thing that happened in cruises in this division. And before Tom was head of ATN, he was head of cruises. And he basically has Greg go do some dirty work, basically do some shredding. He says, you know, there was, let me, let me back up a second. Mm -hmm. So in season one, when Tom is endeavoring to endear himself to the family and marrying in through Shiv, he thinks that it's just going to be like, he doesn't realize exactly what the family is like in season one when he's first getting to know them. And so he thinks like, I'm marrying into this family. Power is going to come my way because that's what people in families do. They look out for one another. But actually the role that Tom is handed is the role of head of cruises, which unbeknownst to him at the time, but beknownst to everyone in the family is this huge black mark with this awful history embedded in it. And they've actually given him a total shitstorm, right? So this wasn't some gift of power that they've given him. This was, hey, you want your way in? Well, guess what? You're going to have to clean up our messes for us. Yeah, 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 and so yeah, yeah. Tom has continued working his way up through the industry, but he has continued this legacy of toxicity 
by saying, I'm not, this shouldn't be my problem. I'm going to force this on Greg, who has been assigned to me to mentor him. So instead of saying, I'm going to mentor you, you're my mentee, he turns him into the scapegoat and says, Greg, on Thanksgiving, I want you to go burn these documents and shred them. Well, Greg makes copies in order to retain some power. Yeah, but this was the exact wording. He goes, there was an unofficial policy that if there was an incident in cruises, like sexual criminal murder, we would minimize the incident to avoid negative PR. There are hundreds of like documents about this. And so all you have to do is sign up some boxes and do a little shredding and meet some lovely guys. And so basically then Greg in season one did this, but he then confesses that he actually kept some of those documents. Right. And so that is what's going on there. Okay, so the beginning of this episode actually is interesting. They're talking about the peer seal and they say, look, the peer seal, they're entrenching on the breakup fee. So a breakup fee, if you're not familiar with it, is basically like also called the termination fee. And it's used in takeover agreements as leverage on the seller, but it could be the buyer as well. And it's used to discourage them from backing out of the deal. And the idea is that it's used to compensate. So in this case, it'd be used to like compensate the buyer, White Waystar Waco, for the time and the resources they spent facilitating the deal. Like it's it's mm-hmm. expensive. You gotta hire lawyers, you, you gotta hire this due diligence, doing all the due yeah. diligence. Exactly. And so just as you know, it's usually about one to three percent of the purchase price. And so if it's uh-huh. a twenty-five billion dollar deal, that's like two and a half to seven billion dollars. Now again, in the Twitter deal, the breakup fee was only one billion. So maybe like one billion is, you know, when you get these massive size, it might not be the full one to three percent. But the idea though is if anyone walks away, they have to pay that. Probably similar to like in real estate, I'm assuming. Well, I was going to say, yeah. So it's liquidated damages, right? Is what it is. Mm. Because you want to limit the recourse that someone has to you if the deal falls apart. You don't want to take your entire company down. You want to pay a nominal fee, even if nominal is a billion dollars, right? But not be forced into like specific performance. Logan ultimately says like, give them what they want. He just wants this deal to go through. He wants it to go through as fast as possible. (laughs) <laughs> this is where Carolina, who is, I think she's like PR. I don't know what she yeah, is. She's yeah, like, I think she's their, their PR, PR person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she comes in to tell them that the cruises drama is is about to come back and bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. So this whole episode is focused around this conference called Argestes, I think it is. I think like Davos or... <laughs> Jen's Googling, is the Argestes, yeah. <laughs> sounds like digested, conference real... No, it is not. It is not real. Okay. So, it is not. So Sandy Furness is here. This is actually where Hugo gets first introduced. He's someone who's senior in Parks and Cruises. And they basically say that New York Magazine is going to drop a piece about all the dirt at Cruises. And they're worried it's going to ruin the Pierce deal. And so it's going to drop in the next 36 to 48 hours. They need to contain um, this story because it's yeah, going yeah, yeah. to tank the deal. And again... The whole thing is is what's going to come out is a disclosure of the huge moral failings and literal criminal activity of the cruises division. Yeah. While they are trying to buy this very morally, you know, oriented news network. So this is the worst possible thing to come out at this time. That's why it's so well, bad. and that's and that's the other thing. Logan knows what's happening. He's his his plan is let's just close the deal as fast as possible. So like right. they're stuck, right? They'll like, find out about it them. afterwards, right? Exactly. Find, exactly. Let's finish the job. Let's let's get to the closing table before you find out that a tree just fell on the house, you know? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But meanwhile, he does say, what money is floating around this year for a white knight? We defined white knight in the last succession episode. It's basically trying to find someone who can come in and like save you if, if things go bad. So Logan wants Shiv to fly to the retreat. They need more help with strategizing. Well, also because remember, she was the one term that Pierce cared about yeah, 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 yeah. in the purchase exactly. offer. So it's, hey, listen, you're the woman. We're being accused of sexual harassment, of all kinds of unfair treatment, of murder, right? All these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Help. Yeah. We need a shiny object in the form of a woman yeah. that Pierce cared about. 
And again, it just goes to show you how there is no depth to which Logan will not stoop, that he's offering up his own daughter as a figurehead to be like, no, yeah. no, no, look, here's a woman. She says it's okay. Exactly. And actually, this is sort of not essential to the plot points, but it just further shows the character of these people. ATN um, has basically decided on this slogan for the conference. They're going to go out and Thomas give this speech and they've workshopped the term. We're listening. But Greg basically runs up to Tom and he's like, that's bad because there's these set-top boxes and there might be a gray area with data collection. We might actually be listening. So then <laughs> they're 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 now trying to figure out, okay, how can we say it? But it's not like, we hear you. Wait, this is actually one of my favorite things in the whole show. So you guys know, like you've seen this with every other corporation. Whenever a corporation screws up, they very clearly have some PR consultant come in to like soften their image. ATN has just been accused of being Nazi sympathizers, right? So like, mm -hmm. okay, how can we let the public know? Like we care yeah. and we're like yeah. listening to your concerns. So they come up with this ridiculous slogan of we're listening, but this is a brilliant piece of writing where he's like, we're listening. And then he's like, we're listening? Like, we're actually <laughs> listening, right? Like, I was literally listening to this with, like, tears in my eyes, right? And this mm -hmm. is exactly what happens. Because it's like, it's like with your phone, right? You have a thought and you're like, oh, I might need to, like, I don't know, replace, like, the inkjet in my printer. And then you open up your phone and it's, like, five ads for inkjet. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, like, this you're is listening. not okay, right? And by the way, when it comes to corporate slogans, okay, I <laughs> I remember when I worked at Lehman, the slogan on the front of the building was where vision gets built. And like, quite literally, the number one thing you learn when it comes to persuasive writing is not to write in the passive voice. It was like, where vision done get built or whatever. Mm -hmm, like, it was mm -hmm. awful. I mean, it, if there was any sure sign that Lehman was going to go bankrupt, it was our slogan. And then Barclays, after they bought us, they had some equally terrible slogan. I actually, true story, Kristen, I was 10 minutes late to recording this podcast because I was desperately contacting everyone I knew at Barclays. And I was like, what was our terrible slogan in 2009? And nobody could remember it. We all have a mental block on it. So I swear to God, I'm going to find it after we record this. But at one point... Apparently, Barclays' slogan was, it's our business to know your business, which again, is the exact same thing. It's like, <laughs> we're listening slash like, we are creepily up in your business in yeah. one way which yeah, yeah, we yeah. have no right to be. There should yep. be a meme yep. account out there just like collecting failed business slogans that have like not, I'm sorry, this was a total tangent. Well, no, 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 I no, no, actually no. thought but that was an amazing thing. It was. Him. The whole thing was hilarious. And then they ultimately, like they're on the fly trying to figure out, well, what do we do? We hear you. No, we hear for you is what they ultimately describe it. They're like, it's ambiguous <laughs> enough. Like you. it basically says nothing. Like we hear it's like for a you. bad homophone. Like yeah. it doesn't quite yeah. mean the same thing. Like it's like we hear, like we're mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So the whole thing oh is, is again, this is why this show, it's like the writing oh, and the everything amazing. is so funny. We've got to post that. We're listening. Yeah. <laughs> we hear for you. We hear for you. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so they need to figure out. What is their plan B if this whole Pierce thing goes out? So which Jerry goes up now. to Roman, yeah. which is going to. <laughs> yeah. So she comes up to Roman and basically says, we need you to start finding a white knight. We want to maybe go private. Meaning, is there some other entity out there, some someone who has a ton of cash you can buy us, like a sovereign wealth fund, for example? Well, wait, what was the exact phrase she used? Because I think that was kind of telling. She said the person they target, quote unquote, has a 
Poe's attached to the central bank and is conceptualizing a 300-year investing horizon. Okay, so I think that's a really good point, actually, because yeah. we've talked about different types of investors with different types of risk appetite. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about people on one extreme, like hedge funds, who might be in and out of a trade for a few basis points. And we've talked yeah. about people like family offices or, you know, we're going to do a – I don't know if this is going to air before or after our private wealth management episode. We're talking about people with literally like 30-year investing horizon. And that's what she's talking about here. Things like endowments, people who will buy and hold positions for very, very long time. And like you said, Kristen, that points to a sovereign wealth fund. And that's where they ultimately go and try to seek that money from. But actually, maybe we should just explain what a sovereign wealth fund is right now. Yeah. So a sovereign wealth fund, it can be capitalized from a number of different sources, but this is a government-owned entity. And the kind of transparency with which they operate and their mandate is going to vary from country to country. Well, I mean, look at what the, uh, with Saudi Arabia, I mean, like the Sovereign Wealth Fund, they set up Live Golf and they've been doing a lot of these, you know, they, they tried to buy the PGA. They offered Tiger Woods like $800 million to come play with them. Like they Which have is a lot of money. Nothing for these guys. They no, have so that's much not money. Exactly. And it can come from a number of different things depending on the country. It can come from trade surpluses. It can come from currency operations. Oil. It can come from taking government. Exactly. It can come from taking government operations private. And then they're going to invest that money, like I said, in different ways on behalf of their citizens. Sometimes it's public pension money. So actually the largest sovereign wealth fund is the Norwegian public pension fund. That is the largest one by a massive margin. And the next two largest ones, I believe, I could be wrong about these numbers, but I think it's safe and CIC. And they're both mm-hmm. Chinese sovereign wealth funds. And like yeah. in the global markets, these are behemoths. We're talking well over a trillion dollars in assets under management. And they are super secretive and very yeah. like they, they'll have one coverage person at the bank and like you don't even know who that person is. And like they never talk about anything or whatever. And then you'll hear whispers like, safe bought the entire auction or whatever. You know, like you would hear Mm -hmm. crazy stuff always like floating around about what safe was doing. They can invest in the normal public capital markets in stocks and bonds, just like anybody else would. And they'll have some allocation to that. But because of their relative independence and because of their different trading mandates, they can take positions just like a venture capital firm would or like a private equity firm would, where they can lock money up for 10 years or longer and not care about weathering March market storms. So Roman basically... I is this like rich guy who happens to, like we said, have um, a hose attached from the central bank or whatever, as they, they described it. Um, but he's, I think the son or one of the decision makers at a sovereign wealth fund. And he's potentially interesting, interested in investing in, um, Waystar, but he basically would want Waystar and ATN to become a propaganda arm for them. So they, he wants to have his hand on the news. So anyway, this, this whole episode wraps up where they go to this dinner and they bring a comedian in to roast everyone. And as part of the roasting, I guess some, they've gotten wind of this Pierce deal and the comedian starts poking fun at the potential merger and says, you know, Waystar is like the Hindenburg. What are you doing? And this is where Nan's just like, I'm out. She basically Nan. gets upset with Rhea. Nan, why do I keep doing that? Nan walks out. She gets upset with Rhea, fires Rhea. And so now basically they have no choice but to pursue the sovereign wealth fund but they need to get ready for this proxy fight. And so that's where we now find ourselves in episode seven is they're getting ready now for this proxy fight. And there's two shareholders who have major positions who they say are wavering. Those two shareholders are Jack the Ulsterman, who has 4%, and then Caroline, who's Logan's ex-wife and the three kids' moms. Not mm-hmm. Connors, but the other three. Right. Who is, by the way, she's an absolutely terrible human being and we're going to see why in a minute. But, but a fabulous um, actress. 
She is. Oh, she's amazing. It's like, you think that Logan is bad? Like, these poor kids didn't stand a chance. Mm-hmm. So Jerry says, um, essentially, we are at 36%, but without the 7%, again, the 4% from Jack the Ulsterman and then the 3% from Caroline, if they don't get that, then they're really, really screwed. So here, Logan basically wants the kids to go to London to appeal to Caroline. Logan invites Rhea on the private jet. And this is where you start to see there are some like romantic sparks between Logan and Rhea. And also, like, the kids get a little worried that she's... They don't like how close she's getting to Logan. Right. But the thing about all of this is all affection is a weapon within the Roy family. Yeah. Logan yeah. doesn't care about Rhea. He's not romantically interested in her. He doesn't have a romantic bone in his body. But he'll have an affair with her if it suits his purposes. Yeah. And so that's where Rhea and Logan talk about how... Logan is worried about Shiv. Shiv actually in the prior episode had gone on some panel and kind of backstabbed her dad a little bit, like calls him a dinosaur. And he really didn't like that. And basically Rhea was like, I can make this go away. Well, remember Shiv still thought she was operating from position of strength because yeah. Pierce wanted her as the CEO. Logan had yeah. told her she was going to be the CEO. So she still thinks that she can like go and make a gentle joke about old dad. And he does not think it's a joke. Yeah. So they get to the UK and there's this story that appears in the tabloids about the kid that Kendall killed, basically saying that Logan had bullied him into killing himself. And Kendall makes this comment like, well, you yelled at him or something. And Logan basically decides that he's going to now show Kendall like who's boss because he basically like Kendall tried to very meekly like stand, not even stand up to him. Basically, she's like, dad, like, I don't know what you're, you know, maybe be careful with Rhea. And also, by the way. You, you did yell at that guy and, and he's just like, he's not going to have it. So he ends up bringing Kendall thinking, Hey, why don't we go visit the family of the boy you killed and decides that Kendall is going to just, just come on a drive with me. Just come on a drive. So then they get to the house and he's like, why don't you come in? And again, you can see this is like, you know, if having to kill Walter was terrible. This is the worst thing that he could have done. It was honestly like heartbreaking watching this. Yeah. Because like Logan's you know, just Kendall rubbing his in. face in it. I mean, just these pictures. This yeah. is the ultimate show of power. It's I yeah. can I own you. I can ruin your whole life in a second and have your children yep. taken away from you. You know, because remember, Kendall's a father and he does care about his children. He does, yeah. Um, so this is also where Logan basically suggests grinding down Caroline. And he says to Roman, pay her $10 million. We have to be careful. We can't make it look like a bribe. Why don't we reopen the divorce settlement? And when they ultimately talk to her to negotiate, she asks Roman, what is the top number? She wants to screw them. And he's Mm -hmm. like, it's $20 million. And she's like, I know that's not it. So she says she wants the summer palace, which is worth $150 million. She was like, dad would never go for that. And she says, okay, well, how about this? A 20 million, but I get Christmases with you here in London. Why don't you let your dad decide? Basically, she's like, your dad will pick the summer palace over you guys, like try to rub 100%. that in her face. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even about the Christmases. It was about the fact that she wanted to show her kids that they meant less to their dad than a piece of real estate. a piece estate. of like, real it was estate. Actually that he doesn't really care about, that he hates. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. That he would burn to the ground in a second if it served him. Exactly. And so there's this other part that's like also really terrible where you continue to see how terrible this mother is, where Kendall has just gone to visit the family, is like dying inside. And like, you know, he goes, he's with his mother. He wants to talk to her about it. It's it's late. And he's like, I I really need to talk to you. And she goes, is this going to be a heavy conversation? And he's like, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm tired. How about we talk over breakfast? He's like, okay, it could be better over an egg. 
And the next morning. Yeah, she says she'll like make him eggs or something like that in the morning. Like this motherly gesture. We're going to sit down. I'm going to cook you breakfast. You can unburden your soul to me. And the next morning he goes down to the kitchen and she's just written a letter like, I had a bunch of errands today. Sorry, I won't see you guys off. I mean, it's like, ugh. So back to the point on like moving <laughs> the actual plot point forward. So Rhea actually sits down with Shiv and says, how about I float your name as the CEO of Pierce? And Shiv's like, oh, okay, sure. I'll keep my options open. Like my dad's not doing anything. I'll at least have a conversation. And then of course, Rhea then takes that to Logan and says, here's the ammunition that you need so that you can now basically tell Shiv that she's out because she betrayed you. So Rhea betrays Shiv and as her reward, ultimately ends up getting named by Logan to be CEO. I think she lasts a grand total of one episode, maybe? Like, like it, it doesn't last half long. Yeah, I think no, she's no, 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 in no. and out in one episode. And it just shows that the only way to curry favor with Logan is to go through these betrayals. But yeah. she thinks that she's immune to it because they're sleeping together. Clearly, this woman does not know how the game is played within this family and has no. just totally outplayed well, she herself. ends up, she she takes herself out of the game. She basically is just like, I don't want this shit. Once but she sees how I terrible do, they truly are. When she sees are. how terrible it, well, yep. not just that, like they actually end up having to go in front of Congress in the next episode. Correct. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that, the, we, we got to get to that in before we do. Yeah. Are you playing L to the OG? I am. Can you hear it? This is the end of this episode, which is like... I want to crawl out of my skin and die hearing this. No, it's... We're just going to hear the very beginning. The very beginning. (laughs) This is like so bad. So Kendall breaks out and does a rap at the end of that episode. So like if you're on social media and you see any of these memes or videos with the song where it's like L to the OG, L to the OG, and we playing. That's the that's the end of that particular episode. Which like I actually I know you're like I just I liked the song. Like I actually like fully enjoyed it and was like so it's so bad. But it's if so I bad could go back in time and excise really... this memory, if I could eternal oh, no. sunshine the spotless no. mind myself and no. excise the memory of having no. watched that rap and now this memory of watching you <laughs> sing it and dance it on this podcast, I Kristen will never let me cut part. this out in editing. I know she's going to make me keep out. it in. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's it's so fun. Oh. I'm sorry. Okay, so right. we just went through your ridiculous rapping. <laughs> Now we get into, I think this is the penultimate episode in the season. So the intro sequence kind of makes it seem a little bit like Logan picked Rhea as a fall person. I don't think that's exactly what was happening, but there's this, not not really, but, but like. Well, but no, I like that they leave it ambiguous because here's the whole thing. It seems mm-hmm. like it's such a betrayal of the family for Logan to pick Rhea as this outsider, right? Because he yeah. keeps saying, look outside the family, right? So he's picked this outsider to be the CEO and now, guess what? They have to go testify before Congress or whatever yeah. because for all this nonsense about the cruises. And clearly, whoever's at the helm of that is going to get shot. Like, somebody's yeah. going to take the fall for this. So the question exactly. was, was he thinking the whole time that he'd take someone from outside the family and make them into the fall guy? Exactly. Which is exactly. what I think yeah. the conclusion that Riot comes to. Yeah. Well, so the, the this this guy, they call him Weasel. I think his name is like Weaselman. And so he goes on 
um, like from TV. Frozen, the Duke of Wessington. Yeah. <laughs> Not subtle. He basically goes on TV, and it, it sounds like like this guy Mo was a really bad guy, mm-hmm. and like assaulted some of the cruise workers and all these things, or was certainly endeavoring to cover up anything that was happening. Yes. And Greg also, in the meantime, so remember, Greg's grandfather is Logan's brother, who, remember, they don't like each other. Greg's grandfather had come to him, I think in the prior episode, and basically said, like, if you continue working for Logan, like, he really hates him. He's like, you're going to be walking away from your inheritance from me, which was like $250 million. And Greg ultimately decides that he's not to walk away like he's in with the family i feel like he feels like he belongs right like he's like there is well, like he's he just no but he's fallen prey to this he feels accepted they all hate him and treat him like garbage they but do it's but it's like toxic abuser thing yeah that- but i do like i do think it's a little bit like he does feel like he's part of a family even though it's a toxic and shitty family but it's it's almost like when someone's in a toxic relationship right like it's hard to get out and yes! uh so, but the the funniest quote was he says, you know, it's okay because my mom says grandpa will still leave me $5 million. <laughs> I think it was Tom's like, can't do anything to 5 million. You're the poorest rich person in America. Like you have too much money to work, but then like you can't actually do anything with it because you've run out of money in like a few years. But um, yeah. so anyway, so. And this deal. episode was recorded years ago before current inflation numbers. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> nowadays. worse now. Nowadays. It's, it's insane, right? Do you remember when we were kids and it was like, Oh my oh, God, that person made a million dollars. I feel like Dr. Evil, like one million dollars. Yes. It's like yes. Dr. Evil, you were frozen for the last 30 years. You haven't taken into account inflation. I mean, that's mm-hmm. honestly how this sounds like $5 million. That's crazy. That literally barely gets you a new construction house in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's nuts. All that has yeah. happened in the last 30 years, and frankly, you know, in the post QE environment, is that the stratification between Rich and poor has just widened so significantly. Yeah. So numbers that used to be meaningful, like $1 million or $5 million, right? It's exactly right. It's very dark to say that like you're the poorest rich person in America with $5 million, but it's 100% true. So where were we? Oh, yeah. Poorest rich person in America. He just turns down a quarter of a billion dollars and then has to go and sit before Congress and get humiliated. Well, because he so- thinks he thinks by being loyal to Logan, he's going to come back and be given this hero's welcome. Yeah. And say, like, he's like, look, I defied my grandfather. I forewent my inheritance. I stand before you as, like, this loyal yeah. servant. They're like, cool, now go testify in front of Congress and yeah, be yeah, the yeah, fall yeah. guy for everything that someone before you did wrong. And there was a scene where Logan is in the bathroom and Greg comes in and he's like, it's been great working with you. Grandpa just offered me a quarter billion dollars. Like, or he's, he's threatening to take it away if I don't leave. And I think he was hoping that Logan would say something along the lines of like, well, I'll take care of you. But it, it wasn't that. He just was like, oh, that's too bad. I like you. And then mm-hmm. because of that, he decides, okay, I'll walk away from it, but it's okay. I'll get $5 million. Oh my God. So the whole thing is just. But anyway, so Logan gets worried and asks Roman to chase down the sovereign wealth money. And this is an actual quote from Logan. That Central Asian money, that no strings, fuckable drive powder. Time out from the responsibilities of being a public company. That's a fucking lifeline. Can you do it? So Roman calls up this guy. I think his name is Eduard. And he basically says, come to Turkey and pitch to us. They go to Turkey. And then meanwhile, you have the rest of the family sitting there, like having to testify before Congress. And Tom goes out first. Literally, oh, and by the way, hang on. Disaster. It's worth mm-hmm. noting that the congressman who is leading these investigations yeah. 
is the Bernie Sanders-esque character for whom Gil. Shiv was working, right? Yes. So this is yes. his way. He is launching this investigation as his way of taking revenge on this family after the back and forth at Shiv's wedding. Yeah. And so Gil basically goes and he grills Tom, you know, why did you call Mo, Mo behind his back, but not to his face, right? Like that seems a little strange. And he says, you know, there's a bunch of packages that were signed out by Greg. And he's like, and you basically called him 56 times and said, you can't make a Tomlet without breaking some Greg's. And the only time that you didn't call him was in this two hour window when these documents were being checked out. So the whole thing is not good. Logan actually tries to throw Kendall under the bus. Kendall actually defends himself well. When Greg goes out, it is like one of my favorite things ever. Greg's like, if it is to be said, so it be. So it is. It's just a giant shit show. With all the back and forth of the hearings, Shiv goes and talks to Gil and finds out that essentially they have some whistleblower. So Shiv and Rhea go to talk to the whistleblower. Rhea's like, you don't have to do this A woman who was one of the victims is the whistleblower. And Shiv and Rhea... The only two women, aside from Carolina, in the entire Roy empire that you ever really see are now taking it upon themselves to go run interference with this whistleblower. This is obviously a whole throwback to the Me Too era and the Time's Up movement in Hollywood of saying, hey, how do women react to other women making these claims that there was all of this corporate and institutionalized wrongdoing, right? Yeah. And instead of, yeah, right. And exactly. Shiv and Raya, Raya doesn't quite have the stomach to do it, but Shiv has no qualms about going to this person and trying to silence her effectively and trying to convince her not to testify. I mean, it basically boils down to, and I think it's, it's almost the loyalty, right? Shiv feels like it's her family's business and so she has to protect it. And Raya's like, no, I'm going to do the right thing. Like I have principles. I yeah, like, I answer to that. someone above exactly. Logan Roy, and it's you yep. know I, I yep. answer to some other higher sense of of moral yeah. calling, and that's why she's out a CEO. That's why she backs out exactly. So she backs out a CEO. They wanted to come up with a fall guy. They initially had picked this guy Bill, and then realized like we, we, we he wasn't Bill a big enough. He, he wasn't, wasn't a big, big enough. enough. Fish. They need more souls. Yeah. yeah, and so they need a blood sacrifice. And this now brings us to the final episode where they try to figure out who is going to be the fall guy. They're trying to decide who they can sacrifice. And Logan gets a call from a major shareholder who essentially says that he thinks the fall guy has to be Logan. And so the whole family shows up in Italy, uh, along with everybody, like the CEO, like the legal, Let's everyone. Let's just casually Jerry, hang out on a yacht like, to solve this problem. They all, exactly. They, you know, it's, I think it was filmed in Croatia, actually. I looked it up, but it, it's gorgeous. And so Roman ultimately comes back and is, has been like traumatized. I mean, he literally was taken hostage in a foreign country. And says that if they want to sell to the Turkey sovereign wealth people, they're in and they can put together, you know, $10 billion. Like, again, the banker is very much on board with this and like trying to sell this, right? Because they found the money to take themselves private and to save everything. It's $10 billion deal, which I also, oh, I guess because it's probably they put in $10 billion and then they lever up the rest. Is so like how they come up with the entire amount to to do the, the LBO. Laird says he can get it together. Six year time horizon. He says he likes it. He can move fast. Roman basically says he thinks it's all horseshit. He said they seem flaky. Jamie mm-hmm. was like, no, they want to rebalance their portfolio for a ri- variety of geopolitical reasons. They're heavily European focused. That makes sense. And Roman's like, well, if they're rebalancing their portfolio, it's insane to do it with one $10 billion mega deal rather than spread yeah. it around multiple sectors. So Roman doesn't buy it. Jamie is ultimately trying to convince Roman and Logan that it's real. 
And Roman's like, well, there's a 10 to 20% chance that you make $100 million. So in other words, like his incentives are a little effed up. Again, as a banker, right, you're, you're paid this fee based on the deal size. And so Roman is basically like, I don't think this is it. Like if we miss, we could get fucked because it's basically like we're looking at this kind of money. It's going to be terrible if we fail, if we don't get it, like we're, we die, you know? Mm-hmm. So they realize that this is not the solution. So Shiv comes in and basically says, I hear the private is off. And again, this is one of those words that like, if you're watching it, you have no background. Like what the frick is a private? A private means this sovereign wealth fund taking the company private. Like all the shares are publicly traded now. Right. If they're bought by the sovereign wealth fund, now it's a private company. So that's what it means. Let's take private, LBO. They kind of use interchangeably. And Logan now asks Kendall if he can arrange a meeting with Stewie. They sit down. They offer three board seats, including Kendall's. They said they'd let him pick the next CEO. They would remove the poison pills. They would conduct a strategic review. They remove all litigation on the proxy battle. They would spin off cruises. All these things. Stewie says no. And so now again, they're still like, okay, shit. Well, this proxy fight is going to go on. And this is also where Naomi. So remember, this was the Pierce daughter who has sort of a drug problem and Kendall have started a relationship. And like, there does seem to be like genuine feelings there. And it, it actually seems like it's good for him to like have a person, like a support person, even if they're the drug part's not great, but still. Mm-hmm. And when Logan sees this, that Kendall has this support person. So he tells he has a path to happiness. Kendall, he has a path to happiness. So he tells Kendall that Naomi can't stay. Naomi basically says, well, I'm leaving, but come with me. And Kendall's like, no, I have to stay here. Logan does love me. And Naomi says, and she's she's hits a nail on the head, which is like, he loves the broken you, right? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, made it all make sense. Because when I was watching, I think I said this to you earlier, I was so confused. I'm like, in the suicide episode, like, why is he so worried about, I mean, I like, I get it kind of, but like, he was, he was very worried, right? It's the only time you ever see Logan seem like he is a loving father is with a broken Kendall. So that, to me, was like, really interesting. But anyway, so they're trying to figure out who to sacrifice. And uh, Logan announces that he's going to be the person, right? Kind of a little bit of a bluff. And everyone's like, no, it shouldn't be you. It can't be you. And so Kendall tries to offer Jerry. Again, Roman has this like secret relationship with. with oh, yeah. They're all on. sitting around this table, yeah. like throwing each other's names yeah. in the hat, not volunteering to step in and, and take the fall, but rather being like, oh, hey, I think it should be Kristen. <laughs> you know, yeah, like- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they ultimately do decide on Tom. And this is where Tom and Chip have a conversation where he's actually super upset. And it was interesting because, again, you know, it's funny as you watch this. I remember when I went back to season one being surprised when like Tom being upset that they wanted, that Shiv wanted an open relationship. Mm-hmm. And then Shiv tries to do like a threesome, like get a woman to come in. And, and again, Tom like doesn't want that. Right. And he basically is super upset and says like, basically like you, you try to fuck me all the time. He was the one that like wanted to be the CEO. And then she was going to come in. He brings up that like, she literally said she wanted an open relationship on their wedding night. She had like slept with someone and it was quote unquote within the rules but like, he doesn't want that. And I think Shiv realizes that her relationship is potentially on the rocks. So she basically goes to her dad and convinces him not to pick Tom and decides. So together, Shiv and Logan decide that it should be Kendall. So Logan brings in Kendall and says, you should basically be you. And Kendall, again, it's like, my dad told me to do it. My dad told me to do it. Oh, this whole thing that's happened all season. It's like dead face, dead body, like just dead inside. Sure, dad. Sure, dad. And so he says, okay. Right. And so well, they you say, think, well, yeah, you think conference. Kendall's on board. You think Kendall has exactly. just accepted his fate that this is the price yeah. he has to pay. I do want to back up one second before we get to yeah. this, which is like the ultimate climactic moment. But ultimately, 
you realize by the end of season four that the entire narrative of succession is taking an outsider like Tom and Mm -hmm. showing how someone like Tom becomes someone like Logan Roy. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge formative step in that process where, hey, listen, he, he knew he was buying into all this power brokering within the family and within the company and stuff like that. But he actually loved Ship when they first got yeah. together. He actually was, loved yeah. this woman and wanted to be with her and truly cared about her. And yeah. yeah, all the other stuff. And he's not a great person or whatever, but he wasn't this soulless person incapable yeah. of actual human emotion like everyone else in the family is. And, and that's- this episode and the pain that he confesses to Shiv is really so heartbreaking because you see that he's having yeah. to abandon that entire concept of conventional love. And you as the viewer have been going on that journey emotionally with the family the entire time because you see how the mother, even the mother treats him this way, right? Like, how could a mother do that to her own child? And so, you know, Tom is kind of the proxy in a lot of ways. And sometimes it's Greg, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're in the relationship together. Sometimes it's Greg as the proxy for the the viewer. But but you have this realization that this is how someone becomes like this, right? But that was, to me, what was so surprising. And I think what I had, what I keep harping on is that Tom slowly changes. And so when we were watching it the first time over the course of, I think it was probably five years or so that, you know, they took so long with COVID. Yeah, exactly. And so over the course of five years, like you're in watching season three and the Tom in season three and then in season four is a totally different Tom from season one. Yep. And I think that's why when I went back and watched season one, I was like, holy crap, this is a different person. He was just the adorable doofus. Yeah. (laughs) He was the adorable doofus. And again, his relationship with Greg, it was like, like, it it was abusive, but it was like, it was fun. And it was, there's, there's all these like montages on like TikTok and stuff of like the love relationship with like Greg and, and Tom. But anyways, the fact that he confesses to her how upset he was, right? He didn't want to do the threesome. He didn't want to have an open relationship. He didn't want to cheat on her. He didn't want to do any of that stuff. And he was heartbroken when she wanted to have an open relationship together. So anyway, Shiv does ultimately convince her dad to not pick Tom to go for Kendall, brings Kendall in, and again, praises him for doing such a great job in the conference. And basically, that's why he should be the sacrificial lamb. And Kendall plays along, says, we'll hold the press conference, admit that, you know, Kendall knew everything. He ordered the cover up. And Kendall says, was it ever going to be me for the top job? And Logan says, you're not a killer. You have to be a killer. But now these days, maybe you don't. I don't know. But the point is, he literally says to Kendall, like, no, it was never going to be you. And you're not a killer. And that's what I think is ultimately the breaking point for Kendall, right? Yeah. He's been broken down in every conceivable way, physically, mentally, emotionally, everything. He's been completely broken down. But he knows now that there was never going to be a happy ending. And so he's got nothing to lose. And what do we always say about the most dangerous person in negotiation? It's the person with nothing to lose. And so he's leaving the family yacht. And everyone's like, oh, Kendall, you know, you'll be in and out of prison in no time. No big deal. (laughs) It'll be fine. Like, thanks for doing this, bud. And then... He gets on TV and you think he's just going to read some script that he's been given, like the same script he's been reading all season of, oh, I saw their plan and dad was better. Or, oh, I did this because my dad told me to. And instead, he goes completely off script. Yeah. What is Kristen? What is he saying? And this is exactly what he says. He says, the truth is my father is a malignant presence, a bully and a liar. He was fully personally aware of the events for many years and he made efforts to hide and cover it up. 
He has a twisted sense of loyalty to bad actors like Lester McClintock, a.k.a. Mo, and a disregard for migrant workers and vulnerable performers and guests. The idea that he would have allowed millions of dollars to be paid without his approval is fanciful. I have copies and records that show his personal sign-off. How much of those of us who executed his wishes bear responsibility is for another day, but today is the day his reign ends. I mean, the, the, the best part of the whole thing, I think, is it cuts to everyone watching this press conference on TV. And everyone's obviously shocked, but Logan's sitting there and there's this little glimmer of a smile on his face. And you can see that he is proud that his son has just turned around and stabbed him in the back because that's exactly what he would have done. Yeah. That is the only thing that Kendall has done the entire season that actually (laughs) makes him proud because that's what Logan Roy values the most in his son. Yeah. It wasn't the obedience. He wanted Kendall under some or whatever, but the idea that Kendall could be a killer is the only time that he's been proud of him the entire season. Yeah. And that's how they wrap it up. It's absolutely genius. Yeah. So anyway, so with that, it's so funny. Jen and I initially had talked about it and we were like, yeah, we'll just like skip over season two. It's fine. But it is something that like, that there are so many interesting like plot points. And even if we were maybe a little lighter on the finance, hopefully this was a more fun episode for you guys. And there will be a lot of heavy finance in season three and season four. So just yeah. like hang tight for that. <laughs> but I promise we will continue to keep doing these. And uh, hopefully you liked this because we get more because we had Kristen questions. I know <laughs> we get the number one request we get from people is like, I love the succession number one. When is the number two? So hopefully for those of you who are waiting, this is the <laughs> everything you hoped it would be and more, even though it's probably gonna be like five hours long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you're enjoying our content, please leave us a five-star written review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Wall Street Skinny. We are more than just a podcast. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at The Wall Street Skinny. If you're a visual learner, we have content that will help get you up the curve from valuation to Excel to Bond Fundamentals 101. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we will be publishing in-depth tutorials on all this and more. 